Sup, Fervent. This is Chris Cook reporting in from Bordeaux, France. I can teach you this morning how to win any argument that you want. And this is going to be really interesting because, at least for me, I like winning arguments. And this is how you do it. You tell the person, especially if there's someone that you love, you're stupid and hopeless. Now, you win the argument, but you might lose somebody that you're with. And the reason is because when you say something like that, you're stupid. You always have been, and you always will be. You eliminate any chance for that person to change. You just sort of do away with their character in one fell swoop. And you'll win the argument, but you'll lose the person. Because that's really what happens when you let go of hope. And we have in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, a phrase, love hopes all things. And this is one of the phrases that really makes following Jesus really offensive to people. And there's good reason for that. People give us lots and lots of opportunities to stop hoping for them by way of their actions. You see, as a young person, I was that kid in church that you didn't really want your kid hanging out with. I know it's hard to believe, looking at me now, thinking, this guy's getting up giving a message on Sunday morning and like, other parents in the church didn't want their kid hanging out with you? Isn't your childhood full of just wonderful examples of godly, sanctified behavior? The answer is no, not at all. I didn't realize until I was in my late 20s that like I was the kid who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Let me give you a couple of examples just to make sure that we all know what I'm talking about. When I was in middle school, my Sunday school teacher went to the pastor and said, is there any way I can get Chris out of my Sunday school class? He's really disruptive. And he doesn't let me get through my lesson. And that pastor said to that Sunday school teacher, watch the wild ones. They're the ones that end up in ministry. I like to think that, that was prophetic. And that same pastor, his daughter had a sweet 16 party. And at one point, she decided to throw my shirt into the pool, which I now know and can see is something we call flirting. But at the time, because of where I grew up and the experiences that I had had, I took that as a challenge to my male dominance. And so I choked her, drug her to the pool, and made her get it out. I wonder if that pastor ever thought back to those times where the church said, give up hope for that boy. Or the time that I had come back to Jesus and I was hanging out with my best friends and we were playing cards at my house, already gambling. And a friend of mine came over and said, hey, do you want to go out to a party? And I said, no, we don't want to do that because I knew the kind of people I grew up with. But my two friends, being the good kids in church, said, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's go out to that party. That'd be fun. We're just sitting around playing cards amongst ourselves. And I said, guys, you really don't want to do that. He said, no, 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 let's go. I was like, all right, let's go. About 20 minutes into being at this party, my two friends came to me, shaken, saying, we don't know what we got ourselves into. We just saw somebody doing cocaine in the back room. There's graffiti drawn all over the walls. People are going crazy. Can you please get us out of here? I was like, yeah, sure, it's fine. Wow, I'll run. We'll leave. The first time that I ever heard God's voice, I was drunk. You really didn't want your kid hanging out with me. But my church never gave up hope for me. 
So today what we're going to look at is we're going to do a few things. First, we're going to establish the reality that we all live in. Then we're going to look at expecting the possibility of the good. We're going to evade despair, evaluate these things from the standpoint of eternity, and then experience this restoration. Because obviously my story didn't end there. I am going to give you a bit of a warning that today's uh, passage involves the death of a child. And while I'm going to attempt to handle this with the lightest touch possible, I know that for some of you that could be really hard to hear. And so I want to give you a warning that that's coming as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 through 30, which says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because this deed you have done, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the, the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. He became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet and so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city and Joab sent messengers to David and said I have fought against Rabbah moreover I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest they take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and it was a precious. And in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. He brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. So the first thing we have to do is establish the reality that we all live in. And the reality is we've all failed. David failed too. If you looked at my childhood, you would say, I don't know that that guy's going to come out as a minister of the word of the Lord. 
when all is said and done. But to be honest, guys, it doesn't even stop there. For the CMA, before we go overseas, there's, two, there's something you have to do. You have to do what's called a home service. That means you have to work in a church, and at the successful completion of that, you can be considered for work overseas. The reality is my family had to do two of those. Because at the end of the first one, we weren't ready yet to go. There were still levels that God was working on in us to become more like him. And it's hard to say that we failed our first one. There was still more to do. But it was good, and God was faithful to us. I don't know about your colossal failures. You may not have killed the guy so that you could snatch his wife. And I don't know about the failures of the people around you. You're tempted to give up hope for them. But even if it is that, this story shows us that by looking at that reality, things can change. And I don't know about you guys, but I have had moments where I've screwed up so bad that God has to literally send somebody to me and tell me, you realize you're screwing up here, right? You realize that this is not how things are supposed to go. And when we failed that first home service, someone from the CMA literally had to say that to us. On a phone call, they said, look, we've got your recommendations back. We've talked to the people that have been working around you. And we're not sure that you're even capable of going overseas. There's a lot of work that you guys have to do in order to become the people that God is calling you to be. But here's the thing. Even if someone has to come to you, even if someone is a prophet and tells you that if you keep doing what you're doing, it's not going to go well for you. There's still hope. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who are following the Jesus way, we have the same option David did. When he looked at his reality, when he looked at what he was doing, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. It's a really powerful thing to say. It's a really powerful thing for a king to say. If you think about what kings were, their word was law. Nobody can question them. But David submits himself to God. And repentance is when we're looking at what it is that we've done, what it is that we've created, and we decide that it's time to turn around and time to go a different way. And the thing is, if we are in the faith, if we are walking with God, our job is to hold the door of that possibility open for people. If I reflect back on the litany of events that uh, I recounted in the introduction, there was really no reason for people to hold the door open for me except for the fact that they believed that God could still do something in me. And to be honest, it's kind of the same thing here in France. When people hear that we're missionaries to France, I've literally heard on numerous occasions, well, that country's had their chance. Why are we sending people there? It doesn't even make any sense. Like they had the church for a thousand years. And they've rejected it. We should move on. We should go to people that haven't heard yet. The reality is, like, there's a chance. That even though we look at the reality of the church in France, 
It's less than 1% Protestant. Most people we meet have never met somebody that has a personal relationship with Jesus. Have never met somebody whose life has been transformed by the power of the gospel. And they'll even say, this is, this is the default no in France, is it's impossible. Change is impossible. Think about what that would do if that's the way that you looked at the world. And so you can kind of see how this is leading to expecting the possibility of the good. Because we have this supreme hope in Jesus. And I think David's being prophetic, or Nathan's being prophetic when he says to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. Guys, that's the gospel. Even though we've had colossal failures, even though the reality that we have created around us, the circumstances that we've created with our actions could be horrible. You could be literally a murderer. And God can take that sin away. That in repenting, we always have the chance to come back. And it's only in light of this reality that we can expect the possibility of the good. That we can expect that Jesus might do something. And we always hold open that door with our expectation that Jesus will do something. And that even in our last moments, we can turn around. I mean, if you think about it, David got a word from a legitimate Old Testament prophet. They're always right. When they say this is going to happen, it happens. And even after hearing that word, he still hopes for his child. To me, this is a beautiful picture of what we get to do as followers of Jesus Christ. That even if we get a word from God that says that there's trouble in the future for someone, we can still hope for them. We can still hope that God will relent. Now, part of the problem is that we often misuse the word hope. Often when we think hope, we think, I wish that this would happen. Like, I hope I get a new car in this raffle that I'm in. That's not really the biblical definition of hope. Because the biblical definition of hope is that we hope that God acts. And like, if you, if you had a plan, like maybe your hope right now is in cryptocurrency. I know I have a lot of friends that are posting about that online. And they're shooting things out like, I hope this goes to the moon. And if it does, I'll do this, this, and this. If that doesn't happen, they can be put to shame because they will have had all these plans based on what they hoped, wished would happen. But what I'm talking about is different. When we hope for someone in Jesus, we expect that God can show up in their life. We expect that God can make a difference. And it's not about wishing for something for me, or even wishing something for them. It's about hoping the best for them. Now, this is in contrast with despair, which is another word that we don't use correctly all the time. But this is going to be from the voice of despair talking. This is a quote from my man Soren Kierkegaard, my favorite author. Um, it's a bit long, bear with me. It is possible, says despair, it is possible that even the most honest enthusiast 
might sometime become weary, renounce his striving, and sink down in the service of wretchedness. It is possible that even the most fervent believer might sometime let go of faith and choose disbelief. It is possible that even the most upright man might still go astray and be lost. It is possible that even one's best friend might be changed into an enemy, even the most loyal wife changed into a harlot. All of this is possible. Therefore, despair. Relinquish hope. Above all, do not hope in any man or for any man. And this is what experience teaches us, that it is possible to be betrayed, that it is possible to have someone who's close to you quit. We've all experienced that. And the temptation afterwards is to despair, which is to give up hope. To say, I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to hope that God is going to work this out. I'm not going to hope that in the end, Jesus is victor. I'm just going to pull everything in. Because it is possible to be betrayed. It is possible that even someone close might turn their back on us. It was certainly possible looking at my life as an adolescent. The wild thing about that is that, yeah, I was the kid that you didn't want your kid hanging out with in church. But when I was with my friends, they always looked at me as the good kid. It's weird how perspective changes so much. It would have been easy for the church that I grew up in to write me off as hopeless and despair that I would never change, that I would always be that loud, obnoxious, arrogant kid in South Jersey, and that I would be lost. And this is where it gets really good. Yes, all of these things are possible, speaking of what we had just said. But then, too, the opposite is also possible. Therefore, never unlovingly give up any man or your hope for him, for it might be possible that even the most prodigal son might still be saved, that the most bitter enemy, alas, he who was your friend, it is possible that he might once again become your friend. It is possible that the one who sank lowest, just because he stood so high, it is still possible that he might again be lifted up. It is still possible that the love which grew cold might again be fanned into flame. Therefore, never give up any man, not even in the last moment. Do not despair. Hope all things. What would have happened if people gave up their hope for me? And this also applies to our country that we're in right now. And it's only because of this hope that we've stayed in France. There isn't a hope like this in France. There is a sort of malaise that settled over the population that things are this way and they'll always be this way and there's nothing that can change it there's even a sense that the world is getting worse and not better and that we're all doomed this is the country that takes the most antidepressants per capita in the entire world people are isolated they don't have close friends and covid's just making it worse it's why we want to bring the people here hope because the church hoped in me, and it radically changed my life. We can hope in the French people, too. 
And doing this, we can evade despair. Because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, that despair is sadness, because it's not. David is clearly sad. But he also knows where his hope is. On the seventh day, the child died, and his servants thought, oh, now things are going to get really bad. Because that makes sense. His child died. He should be sad. He should fast. He should pray. And what they were thinking is that things didn't go the way David wanted, and so now it's going to go from bad to worse. But that's not what happens. The first thing that he does is get cleaned up and goes into the house of the Lord. And he worships before he even goes into his own house. And the reality is, our reactions when things don't go the way we hoped or wished that they would really reveals a lot about who we are and where our hope is. For David, that hope was in God. He knew that God could still bring some good in his life, even though at this moment he was incredibly sad. And look at the reaction of his closest friends and his servants. What is it that you're doing? This doesn't make any sense. And as followers of Jesus Christ, this is the exact kind of reaction that we can expect from people that don't have the hope that we do. Recently, I was having a conversation with someone who's a third-generation atheist here in France, and I was explaining to him some of the pushback we've gotten from being here and being pastors. And I was explaining that it's like we bring this wonderful hope, this joy, this love, and people look at it and they're like, screw you. Get that out of here. We don't want your religion in our country. And his reaction to that was, screw those people. This is a beautiful thing that you guys are doing, even though I don't believe it yet. And I had to tell him, like, no, not screw those people. Love hopes all things. I hope that our example, our lives being lived up close to theirs, will cause them to see that there's something different. That there's this hope that's available to them. There's this love that's available to them that could literally change everything. And he was like, it doesn't make sense. Unless you believe the things that you say you do. It's like, yeah, man. It's all together. If you think about it, David had every possible reason to think that nothing good would come of this instance. But he had an expectation that God could still relent. That even though he had a direct word from a prophet, he could still expect the good. Look, he says something really profound. Who knows? And there he is. Who knows? Whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that my child might live. He's holding the door open for the possibility of God to do something. And that changes how he reacts in the situation. It doesn't mean he's not sad. It doesn't mean he's not experiencing grief. But his outlook, his perspective is different. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't toxic positivity. This isn't the idea that things are always going to turn out for the best. In a sense of, oh, just be positive. Just see the bright side of things. This is David looking at what he's done. Looking at the reality that he's created around him. Repenting. 
and expecting that God will act. We will never be put to shame for that. He held fast the possibility of the good and rejected the idea that it was over for him, which it could have been. That's what Nathan's original word was until he repented. We've had plenty of people come to our alpha group that we're running here in France one time and reject it out of hand. Nope, not for me. But it's possible that they'll come back. It's possible that them hearing the word of God could open a door in them and that God could start speaking to them. And so we hope. We hope that these people that we have one interaction with will be touched by the love and presence of God in our home. Again, because the church hoped for us. And so we hope for them. But it's really only possible if we evaluate these things in light of eternity. David says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David has the proper frame of reference. We have the hope for our forgiveness of sins and of being happy with God. And this hope of a reunion with those for whom death or life has separated us. And this is so real as an international worker because we've already lost friends in the States who've gone on to be with Jesus. We weren't there because we were here in France. And the reality is we all suffer that separation. But just like it says in the New Testament, we don't mourn like those with no hope because we have the hope of Jesus that we'll be reunited again in heaven. And that allows us to evaluate things from that perspective. So what is success here in France? It's not convincing people that we're right. It's not convincing people that the way that we are living life is the best way. All of those things I think are true because the Jesus way is the best way to me. But being obedient into calling lost people and showing them their need for a savior. We hope that they will turn in here. And we reject the possibility that France will always be in this situation where it's less than 1% of believing Christians. And we're going to be evaluated by Jesus in eternity of how we lived out that hope while we were here. And as I come to a close, we too experience restoration. Because David, after all of this, after revealing his hope, after being this person, he gets another son. God restores something for him. And my best friend, who I took to that party, is the one who insisted I started working in ministry. That relationship was restored working in ministry with him, and he's still calling my best friend to this day. We encourage each other to pursue Jesus. You wouldn't have known it from that moment. David also, the city that Uriah is killed trying to attack, is conquered by David afterwards. And that same pastor that I had talked about before is the one that argued for me to get a scholarship to go to ATS and to pursue ministry as a vocation. He didn't have to do that. And he actually had to argue 
for me to get the scholarship because he believed in me and he had seen that his hope that God had given him for me was turning into something. There's a crown that's given to David at the end of the uh, sack of the city. You would think after all the things that he did that God would say, you don't need another crown. Guys, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's changed everything for me. That hope that surely people had that I could change, it's happening. I would say this week, the thing to do is to establish your reality or the reality of someone around you and see, is it time to repent? To expect the good. There's someone in everyone's life guaranteed that you're tempted to stop expecting the good for them. You're tempted to let go of your hope from them and to despair. It's always too soon. Reject despairing over the people around us and continue to lift them up and to pray, even if that's yourself. You can change. God can redeem and he can restore. That as we see the eternal worth in the people around us, we can embrace that God is going to do something. He's going to provide the change that's needed. For some, it's time to experience restoration. I have. I look at who I was and I look at who I am and who I am wouldn't even be recognizable to who I was because God has restored so much to me. He's literally changed me from the inside out. And that is possible for you. And that is possible for your kids. And that is possible for the people you don't want your kids hanging out with. Love hopes all things and is never put to shame.